Uh, <clears throat> good morning. And this is an awesome day the Lord has made, isn't it? It really is. Um, and today is uh, Faith Living Church's 36th anniversary. You know, we've been here 36 years. But in reality, we've been here 37 years because I started teaching a Bible study over here in Southington for a year before we started the church. And we were meeting in a couple of different people's homes. So we've actually been in the area here for 37 years in reality. And that was the, the foundation and the planting of the church. Um, uh, see, what was it? Right after VBA, uh, I told you we were going to put in an elevator. And I was going to get back to you on that. And, um, you know, uh, we, we still have some... Uh, more to do before I can let you know all the ins and outs about it. But let me show you a little a video clip of what transpired the day that I told you about the elevator. Do we have that clip ready? Okay. Here's the number. Five, eight, one, three, five, did I tell you about the fishing trip I took, you know? Uh, <laughs> the last number, well, let me start over so I don't get you confused. Five, eight, one, three, five, four. Is that you? All right, come on down. There's nobody else had that number, right? Let me see here. All right. Yeah. Say what? Did you hear what she said? Say it. You can keep it for the elevator. Awesome. That. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> you know, that's the very first offering toward our elevator. Thank you so very much. What a noble thing. Awesome. Okay. Ain't no way I can top that. That is awesome. I don't know if you were here when that happened. And uh, Casey, absolutely. Casey, we were doing a drawing. That was a grand finale weekend for VBA. We were doing a drawing. We did a drawing for each of the three services we had. Casey, a young lady, you know, she won the $100, and that was the first time we had announced that we were going to be putting in an elevator. And for a young girl to say, keep the 100 bucks for the elevator, that was the first contribution that was made toward the elevator. And I told everybody, I said, what I want you to give yet. There's another uh, young couple. God bless them. They came up and they gave a nice gift. And they said, we just want to you know, make a gift as well. And so you can see I'm not too good at taking offerings and things like that. And we're not going to take one today, okay? But I do challenge you. We're going to put an elevator in right over there. And there'll be two bathrooms in it. One upstairs, not in the elevator, but <laughs> that'd be kind of difficult, I think. 
But in the uh, a little addition that goes on out there, one of the top of the stairs and one at the bottom, it'll go all the way down to the basement. So they can get in the basement and get in up here, and there'll be uh, restrooms for anybody who needs that. And, uh, you know, we have an architect been working on that and some wonderful people who've come forward and, and are helping us, you know, kind of oversee the whole project and bring the right people in to help uh, put that together. And uh, I really don't know. I, I know a little bit about the elevator, but the addition and all that, I don't know about all the prices it's going to take. So what I challenge you to do is to prayerfully consider what you would like to give toward that. And in the next week or two, once I get all the data in, I'll let you know exactly what it's going to cost. And uh, I believe we'll be able to just take care of it really quickly because it's such a great need. There's people in our church now who cannot get in. They can't come anymore. Thank God they can watch it online or they can, we can take them a DVD, but they can't get in the building anymore. And many people who've had a little surgical problems and issues at times here or there can't come in. And we really, it's a real need. We've been trying to figure out how to do this for many years and God just kind of you know, opened up the door. So prayerfully, I challenge you to prayerfully consider in the next couple of weeks when we uh, take an offer what you would like to contribute toward that. And every person who ever comes in this building who needed assistance, you'll be a part of making a difference for their lives. Uh, let's see here. Uh, also, um, there's a young lady who reminds me periodically because uh, I tend to forget stuff. And she said, Pastor Ron, you know, there's a lot of people watching online. So don't forget to address the people who are watching, you know, via uh, their computer, you know, because all of our services are streamed live. So God bless all you guys who are watching online. Thank you for going to church, being in church with us and worshiping and in our teaching. So you probably didn't know there's a whole lot of people behind you, you know, not just in the balcony, but way out there all over the world who actually uh, are, are part of what's going on here at Faith Living Church. And I uh, just want to really encourage you, as things, school has already started, things are settling back down, not as much traveling going on right now, I want to encourage you to get in a life group. There'll be somebody at the Connections desk to tell you more about it. We're in a life group, and our life group meets every week, unless there's something going on in our family or our baptism or something that we can't do it, you know, because of the time factor. But people in our life group have become family, and, and we do life together, and we we do some things outside of just our life group. We get together here or there. It's just like you would with family. And I challenge you. And you might say, well, I've tried it and it wasn't the right chemistry. Well, there's another one that is right for you. And maybe it's time for you to host a life group and, and handpick people to attend your life group. It's an awesome thing. We discuss the services and how we apply those things. We have special life groups to deal with, uh, you know, family matters, you know, or books of the Bible. So I challenge you, if you've not ever tried a life group out, or if you have, but you're not in one right now, give it another opportunity and, and, and discover the, the reward that comes uh, from life groups. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is basically what you see here. It says, Faith Living Church, a church that makes a difference. Now, we came up with that quite a few years ago uh, for the Apple Harvest Parade, and that's the same T-shirt except being black is a dark gray. But you know what I was thinking about? And I said, you know what? The reason Faith Living Church does make a difference, and we do, you know, all over the world. And right here, uh, Susan and I were contemplating this, and, and uh, I know you might think I'm exaggerating, but I don't think I am. We, we begin to consider 
how many people's lives have been touched through Faith Living Church uh, in the last 36, 37 years. And the people who've gone out and pastor churches or they minister in churches or on the mission fields, and the people who have come through and they've gone on and they've had kids and, and they've led their kids and their moms and dads, brothers and sisters, other family members to Christ. And you know, that thing just keeps on multiplying, you know? And like I say, you, you may think I'm exaggerating, but I don't think I am that in the last 36, 37 years, I believe we've touched directly or indirectly. We've had a TV program forever. Also on the cable, not to mention all the CDs that we send out and, and things like that. I believe we've touched over a million people. I really do. And that's not exaggeration there, you know. And uh, on eternity, when we get to heaven, you know, if, if we've led one person who turned into somebody like a Billy Graham, you know, I mean, how powerful is that? You and I working together, doing our part. You know, Faith Living Church is a church that is making a difference. And I want to explain why that difference and how that has uh, come about. You, you saw the little uh, blurb from the movie. Does anybody know what that clip was from? That movie clip I showed a while ago? Yeah, you know, no, right? Sarah Plain and Tall. It is an awesome, inspiring, heart-touching movie or series of it, you know. But the, the widow, her, he said he was looking for a woman to make a difference. And that's what I believe that God has put within our heart. People who are making a difference. That's why Faith Living Church is a church that makes a difference because the church is, is what? Church is the people. Church is not the building, but the church is the people. Matthew chapter 16, and that's what we're talking about, making a difference. Matthew 16, 13, it says, that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's talking about himself. He says, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he, Jesus, he asked him, he says, but who do you say I am? And you don't need to answer this question out loud, but as we go on through this and you're thinking about it, just imagine Christ speaking that to you personally. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just some good person, some prophet or, or something? So in verse 15, Jesus asked him, he says, who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, he says, you are the Messiah. Uh, the, the Messiah, it means the promised deliverer, the promised Savior. And that's what Peter said, you're the Messiah. You are the deliverer that was prophesied about. The Savior that was prophesied, you are the Messiah. And then he qualifies it even more so. He says, you are the son of the living God. Well, that's a powerful statement to say about somebody. And Jesus replied, he says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. 
Jesus says, the only reason you could possibly say that, my Father has kind of opened up your eyes and revealed who I am to you, the Deliverer, the Savior, the Son of the living God. And then in verse 18, Jesus goes on, he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means what? And this particular word in the Greek is petros. And the word petros means a large piece of rock. I mean, it might be as large as a stage. It might be as large as a car. You know, that's what he's saying. Jesus says, now I say to you, you are petros. You know, you're Peter, which means rock. Petros, a large piece of rock. And then he goes on to say, and upon this rock, and the word there is not the same as the other word rock. This word rock is Petra, which means a huge rock, like the Rock of Gibraltar. Are you familiar with the Rock of Gibraltar? The Rock of Gibraltar right there is on the coast, and it's really, you know, uh, an island, I mean, <clears throat> if you would. I mean, it's, 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 it's massive, and it's honeycombed with caves. It's, it's basically a fortress. It's not a big piece of rock. It is a huge rock, like a, you would call it a mother rock. I mean, this is the huge, huge, massive uh, rock that pieces are broken off of. So Jesus is saying to Peter here, because a lot of people thought that Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to build my rock, I'm going to build my church on Peter. You know, a lot of people think that's what he's saying. He says, Peter, uh, you are a, a big piece of, piece of rock. And then Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on Petra, the massive, huge rock that the piece was taken from. And Jesus is that rock. Jesus is the rock which he builds his church upon his word and upon the revelation of who he is and upon himself. Just so you understand... If you do a little bit of study and you'll discover, like, wow, I didn't know that. So he says here, now I say to you, Peter, you are Peter, which means rock, large piece of rock, and upon this rock, Petra, huge rock like Gibraltar, he says, I will build my church. And see, there's life in the church. And he's not building the church out of bricks and stones and out of boards. He's building his church upon people, living stones he refers to. Because you know, the church is not the building. The church is the people. And I know we go, oh, look at that church. You know, and, and we say that and we understand what we're saying, but the church is the people. It is not the building. So Jesus says in verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, that huge rock like Gibraltar, talking about himself, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell will not overthrow it, will not overpower it, will not hold out against it, Jesus said. And uh, this was such a comfort to me personally when I was in Bible school many, many years ago and God spoke to me to come to New England and this is what he told me. Now, now since then, I've, I've gone to a lot of conferences and I hear, you know, different leaders talk about how they built their church or how you should build your church. 
And although I, I know what they mean when they say that, when I responded to the call of God upon my life, Jesus, he, he, he spoke this to my heart. He said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They'll not conquer it. And I'm going, okay, if you're going to do the building of it, I'll go along with you. You just tell me what to do. I'll do what I'm going to do. I'll do what you want me to do as long as you're the one who's doing the building of it. Just so you know, I ain't smart enough to build a church, you know. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm just letting you know, all I do is just what he tells me to do. I just do that. He's the one who's really building the church. Jesus said he would build it. It's not a human thing. That's why it's making a difference, because he's building it. And he's building it with living stones, human beings, men and women, boys and, and girls. And that's what's making the difference. Now, I want to uh, share something with you. came in this week on, uh, I believe it was on Facebook. Let's see if I can find it here now. Okay. I just thought it was such a powerful uh, testimony. This is Karen Gurton. She's a part of our church and uh, has a picture of her and her husband there. And she says, special thanks to Faith Living Church. And she wasn't writing this for the building, okay? She was writing this for us. That's you and me, the people. Special thanks to Faith Living Church. A situation arose today where I allowed myself to be offended at Subway where I consider my husband and I to be regulars. And I was taken back by a comment one made. I let the person know that I was offended. I didn't want to eat there or ever want to go back. I left and started remembering the teachings of our recent lesson. Does anybody know what that was about? Anger and how to exercise your conscience to be void of offense or void of anger. She goes on to say here, I left and started remembering the teachings of our recent lesson. I chose to pause and pray. I then purchased a blank card and a gift card. And I told her I was sorry for allowing myself to be offended. Everyone has a bad day and I hope hers gets better. I forgive her just as Christ has forgiven me. When I dropped it off, she was shocked to see me and apologized. I did as well. I felt immediate relief and gave her a hug. Again, thank you, Faith Living Church. I love you all and am forever grateful for what you have done for me and my family. Now she was, that's awesome. That's awesome. That note was to Faith Living Church. That was to you and to me. That we've all, you know, made a difference in her and her family through the people who lead in the worship, the people who do the technology stuff up there, people who greet you at the door, you know, people who are teaching the kids. I mean, we all have our part to play. And together, Faith Living Church, which is people, we're making a difference. And Jesus said, I'll build my church. He wasn't talking about the building, you know, he wasn't talking about the building, he was talking about the people. If he was talking about the building, he would come and put the elevator in by himself. You know what I'm saying? But uh, that's our, our job, but he's bringing all the right people together to make a difference. Anyhow, let me go on. Uh, he, he says, I'll build my church. That was in verse 18. 
and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And then he says in verse 19, he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about now. See, some people say, well, the keys and all the blessings are when we get to heaven. No, 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 that's not, that's not right. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll, I'll give you those keys. Talking about now, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, eternal life begins at that moment. It begins on that moment. Now, you're not sliding down the streets to go in your sock feet yet, but you have entered into eternal life at that point. And you have a lot of the principles of the kingdom are accessible to you. And he says he'll give us the keys. Now, what are keys for? Opening things that are locked. And we usually only put keys on things that are valuable, right? You have a key on your house. You have a key on your car, you know? You know, in your old treasure chest, you know? You put keys on things that are valuable. And God said, this is Jesus saying, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to access Almighty God, His presence and His, His uh, inheritance that He gives to us and His blessings and, and all that we can access now. You ever pray and get a prayer answered, you know? And, and the thing is, it's like more and more and more, if, if we want it, we can learn about the keys that he's given us and how to access those and how to utilize those keys now and therefore make a difference in this world in which we're, we're, we're living, you know. It, it makes a big difference who's building the church. If human beings are building a church, well, they've kind of got a, a social club, you know, and it might eliminate a little uh, loneliness from time to time, but it won't make an eternal difference. But when you yield, as, as we all here have, to Christ and, and allow him to do what he does best, is I'll build my church. And the gates of hell, they'll not conquer it. And they'll not hold out against it either. And then he says, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. The, the treasures and the things that I have for you, you can begin to access them now, um, it, was in, it was on February the 27th, 1991, at the height of Desert Storm. Y'all remember Desert Storm? That Ruth Dillo received a very sad message from the Pentagon. It stated that her son, Clayton Carpenter, Prophet First Class, had stepped on a mine in Kuwait and was dead. Ruth Dillo Later wrote, she says, I can't begin to describe my grief and shock. It was almost more than I could bear. For three days I wept. For three days I expressed anger and loss. For three days people tried to comfort me to no avail because the loss was just too great. But three days after she received that message, the telephone rang. And the voice on the other end said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. Ruth Dillo said, I couldn't believe it at first, but then I recognized his voice, and he really was alive. The message that she had received was a, all a mistake. Oh, poor woman. She said, I laughed, I cried. I felt like turning cartwheels because my son, whom I had thought was dead, was really alive. None of you can even begin to understand 
how I felt. Well, let me uh, share this with you that a high percentage of the news that we get, whether it's out of a newspaper or it's on the computer, you know, the internet, something like that, a high percentage of the news that we get, it crushes our, our hope. And it inspires terror and despair. A lot of the news that we're exposed to on a day-by-day basis, it crushes hope. And it's not the final word. Like this woman had received some news, but it wasn't even true. And it crushed her hope. You know, it left her in despair, you know. But I found a book that's full of good news. And it changes things. It really does. You know, uh, Susan had uh, come across an article this past week and was sharing it with me uh, about this Tennessee uh, teacher, counselor in the school system. Many of you probably heard about it, but she made a difference. There was a 14-year-old student who came to school with a gun, and he was set on killing a teacher and a cop. And he said to the teacher as he sat in her office, you know, and she was kind of captive there, he says, only you can talk me out of this. And in 45 minutes, she convinced him to surrender his gun and give up this evil plan. Now, she made a difference. The policeman, I actually listened to the uh, clip of it later on that day that the policeman said that we wouldn't have been able to have done that because they're trained to stop a threat, you know, and they would have stopped the threat much earlier in a much more traumatic way. But this woman, she made a difference. She cared and she made a difference. Let, let me read you something out of 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is in the, uh, the Message Bible. And, and I read it in many translations of the Bible, but I just like the way it says it here. 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, What a God we have! Exclamation mark. Woo! That's the way you're supposed to read that, okay? What a God we have! Woo! Awesome! Fantastic! Wonderful! What a God we have! And how fortunate we are to have him this father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, does Jesus' resurrection impact you at all? The, the woman who thought her son was dead, when she found out he was alive, did it affect her at all? Woo! You know, changed everything, didn't it? And when we discover that Jesus was raised from the dead, we acknowledge that the resurrection makes a difference. And the church that Jesus builds and the living stones that he uses to build it with, oh, the resurrection makes a difference to us and it makes a difference to the church and, and therefore the church, which is the people, make an eternal difference in this world in which we live. That's just the way it is. Just like seeds, you know. I think I have some seeds here. I was asking Susan, I said, what kind of seeds you got there? And uh, out of her little storage department there, and I figured this was very proper and acceptable for you guys here. These are 
great northern beans because we're in the north, you know. But these are, these are beans. But did you ever think of beans as being seeds? Did you know that there's life in each one of these things here? And if you decide that you're going to plant them instead of eat them, what's going to happen? They're going to germinate. First, it's going to look like it just dies. Put it in the soil, and it kind of starts shriveling up a little bit, you know, and all the darkness is closing in all around it. But with the proper environment with warmth, sun, water, pow, little sprout starts coming up. There's life hidden in each one of those things. It's amazing. And when it says here, what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus, because Jesus raised, because Jesus was raised from the dead. And in and, and springtime, declares the resurrection. All the little seeds, the acorns, and the seeds that have fallen off all the flowers and the trees, they, 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 they lie dormant. All the, the leaves have covered them up, and they've settled down into the soil in the dark, cold winter. But when springtime comes, surprise, surprise, explosion of color and fragrance and new life. See, resurrection makes a difference. I mean, the fall of the year would be absolutely tragic if we didn't know springtime was coming, would it not? It's just like everything's dying, leaves are falling off, they'll never come back on again, the grass will never be green again. But because we know springtime's coming, you know, we can see the beauty in the fall. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, no matter what happens, we know springtime's coming because he rose from the dead. Our loved ones will as well. He goes on to say, let me read one more time, what a God we have. Woo! <laughs> and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and we've been forgiven. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. There are some people who I have heard and they said, I don't have anything to live for. I don't have anything to live for. Let me tell you, get to know Jesus. You've got something to live for when you get to know him. He says, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. Verse 4 says, including a future in heaven. We have a future in heaven. There's only one other option to heaven. Did you know that? Because we can't live here forever and ever and ever and ever on earth as it is. The option is heaven or hell. And he gives us a future in heaven. And see, to me, because I've studied it so much, you know, heaven is so real to me, just like I've got loved ones who live down in the Carolinas, you know, and I've got loved ones who live in heaven, Heaven is so real. And that's what God wants it to be for us all. He goes on to say here in verse 4, including a future in heaven, and the future starts when? Now we can access. He says he gives us the keys of the kingdom. Now we can access the treasures and the principles and the blessings of heaven now. That's what he wants. When he, he taught us to pray, that kingdom come now. And now we pray that thy kingdom has come 
and we, we praise you for it. Teach us to use the, the keys of the kingdom and access those blessings right now. Verse 5 says, God is keeping careful watch over us and the future, and the day is coming when you'll all have it all. You'll have it all. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life, healed, and whole. The day is coming when we're going to have it all. Verse 6 says, I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. We gotta, how many of y'all have to put up with a little aggravation going on right now on this earth, you know? Yes. But we know Romans 8, 28, and it is a key. Now, it's one of my favorite keys, and you hear me talk about it all the time, but there are many, many more. But the key, it says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called to his purpose. Now, you may not use that key. It's one of my favorite keys. If you could see my key ring, that one is well-worn. Because no matter what happens... God says, if I love him, he's going to work it together for good. That's an absolute guaranteed promise. Now, when you got out this morning, you went to go get in your car, did you fall down on the ground and have a temper tantrum and kick and yell and holler, going like, well, I sure hope my key works today. You know the thing's going to work, didn't you? Didn't you? And if there was an issue and it didn't start, well, then there's a little corrosion, most likely, around the batteries, and we got to clean the corrosion, the dirt off of our lives. But you know it's going to work. And I know that Romans 8, 28, that's a, that's a key of the kingdom that will work. I believe it. I know that he's going to work all the things that happen together. No matter what it looks like to the natural eye, he's going to work it all together for good. That's what he tells us. Picking up here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, and it's the resurrection, you see, that makes the difference. If you believe in the risen Savior, and you believe he's raised from the dead after paying for our sins, it makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference in any and every church that believes in the resurrection. <clears throat> and they can begin to access that resurrection power for themselves and utilize the keys of God's kingdom. He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. If you believe your car is going to crank with your key, well, act like it. You don't start moaning and groaning and belly aching. Oh, I just hope the key works today. <laughs> no, you have boldness and confidence. You say, oh, you need a ride? Hey, let's take my car. You know it's, the key's going to fit and, and turn the thing on. You know that. So he says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Another translation says, set your affections on things above. Because there's a real tendency for us to set all of our affections on earthly stuff. And another translation, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. How real is heaven to you? Look at it. Study it in his book. Discover how God, you know, wants you to perceive heaven. Discover it because he's revealing it to us. And he tells us in, in verse 2 here, he says, don't 
shuffle along. Every time I read this passage here, I think of a, a character that I saw in a cartoon. Uh, the cartoon had Tigger and Winnie the Pooh in it. And what was his name? Eeyore. Y'all familiar with Eeyore? He's like a little donkey or something or another. And Eeyore, listen, see if it doesn't sound like Eeyore to you. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Anytime you, I've ever seen Eeyore in a cartoon, oh, it's going to be a bad day. This is going to probably be worse tomorrow. He was always so negative. Is that true? I mean, you don't name your kids Eeyore, you know. And the Bible says, don't act like Eeyore. He says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things, talking about earthly things, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up. Look up. Be alert to what's going on around Christ. Look up. Get your eyes back where they ought to be. Look on the heavenly things. Set your affections on things above. Get your focus on what Christ is doing. He's on the move in this old world in which we live. And no matter what the political system says, no matter what anybody says, no one can stop Jesus from what he's doing in this world right now. The church in many countries have had to go underground because they're not allowed to meet publicly anymore. But the church has never ceased to exist. It goes underground. It meets in homes. It meets in the middle of the night. It meets out in the forest somewhere. But the work of Almighty God of telling people the good news about the resurrection and their, their forgiveness, it is advancing. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and, and, and forceful men lay hold of it. It's, it's on the move, you see. And he says, look up. Don't be like Eeyore, but look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. A lot of people are chasing worldly things. And some of those things we really need. You, you need a place to stay. You need something to drive. You need food. You need relationships. We understand that. But some people are pursuing them at an alarming speed. And the Bible says, seek first God and his kingdom. And all these things that you have need of, they'll be added to you. They'll come looking for you. <coughs> and he don't just give us only the things that we, we need, does he? How many of you would testify that you really have more than you need? Is that true? Yes. And he says if we'll just put him first, all these things that we need, they'll come looking for us. They'll be added to us. They'll chase us down is what he tells us, you see. And then he goes on to say, he says, look up, be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. You want to be involved with the action? Or you just want to just be left out, you know, shuffling along with your eyes on the ground? He says, that's where the action is, where Christ is at. See things from his perspective. And we'll learn his perspective from his book. Where other people are just brokenhearted and, and in great despair, you're going, hey, God's going to work this thing for good. He's going to work his thing for good. You just watch and see. I love him, and I'm doing my best to live according to his purpose. He's going to turn this thing around and work it together for good. Learn God's perspective on things. It works. It's true. It's not a lie. It's absolutely true. He says, see things from God's perspective. And verse 3 says, your old life is dead. 
Your old sinful life is dead. It's gone. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, you know, let's just say that last week you were just living for the devil and then you gave your life to Christ. You know, you, you look the same. Your nose is the same. Your ears are the same. You haven't had a haircut. You look the same. But there's been a transformation that's taken place, has it not? And, and people may not see the stuff that's invisible, the transformation right now. And they may not understand eternity and eternal things. But one day they will. They'll see that and they'll, they'll see the transformation and the change. Although for a time it seems invisible. He says your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. And see, Christ makes the difference. The risen Christ makes the difference in his church that he's building. The risen Christ makes the difference in the church because he's making a difference in his people. That resurrection power, you see, is accessible to us. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, when Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. Now those who have already gone to be with him or when there's a great catching away of the whole body of Christ, when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns in all of his glory, he says, those who've already gone, uh, they'll show up too. You know, it'll be very clear. People go, oh, you were right. You were right after all, you know. He says, the real you, the, what's that say? The glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity. Seemingly being insignificant. Seemingly being put down. Seemingly in our nation, we're no longer a Christian nation. Seemingly, well, you can't pray in, in the place where everybody's educated and taught. You can't even pray to God anymore. The world in which we live is trying to stomp out Christ. They're trying to ignore the resurrection. They're trying to make the, the good news insignificant. That's what they're trying to do. It says, verse 4, when Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, kill it. Impurity, kill it. Lust, kill it. Doing whatever you feel like, when you feel like it, kill it. And grabbing whatever attracts your fancy, kill it. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. Those are temporary, and they'll leave you empty and hollow, shallow at best. He goes on to say, verse 6, it's because of this kind of thing, the sinful indifference to God, that God is about to explode in anger. We just got through studying anger, did we not? Is there a good anger? There's a righteous indignation, a righteous anger. It's one that pursues justice. For all. It's one that rescues and brings salvation and forgiveness. <clears throat> but God, you see, is what we call long suffering. The word long suffering means patient. And it doesn't say that God is eternal suffering, long suffering. He nudges us to repent, to repent, to repent, to turn from that, to turn from that, to turn from that. Repent, repent, turn from that, turn from that, turn from that, turn from that. How many chances has God given you? Many. But there comes a time when 
okay, you, you choose to rebel against me, there is no more patience in regards to it. Then we reap the consequences of our, you know, bad choices and all. That's what he's telling us here. It says in verse 7, it wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff, you know, the things we just didn't read about. It wasn't long ago you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. And some people go, well, I know I'm a Christian for 40 some odd years and that's just the way I talk. Well, just stop the way you talk. You, you can teach a child to talk in two years from birth. So you can learn to talk a better way. And everybody says, amen. Because we have to give account of all those words, you know. Anyhow, listen to what he says here. Verse 7. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, and dirty talk. Verse 9. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life, you know. God's given us a new life. He says, you're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. Does anybody have a filthy set of clothes that don't fit you anymore? Well, I happened to bring a, a set with me this morning, you know, and I really, uh, if you knew what was in here, I really shouldn't even be holding it that close to my back now. Woo-hoo, you know? But this is the way we were before we knew Christ. Christ, but we're wearing this stuff. And he says right here, in verse 9, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. You've stripped off and you put it in the fire, you know? Not just put it in the edge of the garage and you can pick them back up and wear them again, but that you burn them. You've gotten rid of them. And verse 10 goes on to say, now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. How many of you would like a new wardrobe? Ladies' hands went up first. I saw that. I want one too, as long as it's camouflaged, you know? Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made. How would you like to have a wardrobe that was custom made for you? Custom made by the Creator. You mean that God custom made my wardrobe himself with his label on it? Would that be awesome? The creator has his own label in the back of everything that he made for you, custom made to fit you perfectly to accentuate, you know, your good qualities. All the old fashions, that old sinful fashion, all the old fashions are now obsolete and you toss them away see the difference in me and you is jesus the difference in our church and every church it's the resurrection power of jesus christ that brings about a transformation and see the church is not the building is it what's the church church is the people really is um the difference in us is, in, is, is Jesus, but we're not perfect, are we? Is anybody here perfect? Let me see. Is that Jesus here? No, I don't think so. But we're forgiven, are we not? 
And the God who we <clears throat> serve, he gives us a, another chance. And, and as we're learning his ways, we're, we're becoming more and more and more like him every day. We're becoming like that. And, and, and the resurrection power that we allow into our life to help us to overcome, it makes a difference. Not just for us first and our family, but it makes a difference for the people whose lives we touch. That's awesome when you think about it. Dale Evans. Anybody know who Dale Evans? What was her husband's name? Roy Rogers. Okay, we have some old people here along with me. <laughs> I used to watch that, you know. But Dale Evans once said, she says, I spent most of my life searching for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And then I finally found it. It was at the foot of the cross. It wasn't at the end of the rainbow, but what I was looking for all my life was at the foot of the cross. Dale Evans and Roy Rogers were very devoted Christians. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they really were. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation... And, and, and expectation and hope in no one else. And, and, and who, who are we talking about here? Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself said, I am the way. Jesus said this. So when people say Jesus was just a prophet or he was a good man or he was a good teacher, they're lying. Either you love him or you hate him. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father in heaven except through me. Jesus says, I am the only door to heaven. There is no other door. So you can't say, well, he was a good man. You say he's a good man and you don't believe him? You call him a liar? No, there's only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ. And, and no matter about popular opinion or if, if, if there's a vote taken about whether he was or not, he's not the son of God because we voted him in. <laughs> And he won't stop if you try to vote him out, you know. Anyhow, it says here, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven. What's that name? Jesus, by which we must be saved. He is the way, you see. And through him, every one of us here have had another chance. And there's another chance before us right this moment, another opportunity to get right with God. Verse 13 goes on to say, the members of the council, this religious council, you know, who, who hated Christ and all of his followers, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were, what? Ordinary men. Sometimes we feel like, well, how can God use me? Because I'm just ordinary. I'm just ordinary. And listen to what he goes on to say. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. No special training. The scriptures that they had heard or read, they believed and applied. But they, they weren't specially trained in it. It says... They were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. See, the risen Jesus is what makes a difference in his church. He says, I'll build my church. And the church is the people, that's you and me. And see, not all of our, you know, 
extensive special training, even in the scriptures. Not because we're extraordinary. But the thing that makes a difference in your life and my life is that we've been with Jesus. That's just the way it is. That's the truth of it, folks. And Jesus wants to be with every one of us. There's a story told about Fiorillo LaGuardia. Um, this, this is absolutely amazing. Y'all, y'all heard of him. He was the mayor of New York, you know. And it was during the worst days of the Great Depression and all of the World War II time, was, was, uh, he was called, you know, the uh, little flower in New York City. You know, the, the mayor, Ferrero Bogardia. Uh, he was called the little flower because he always had in his little lapel there a carnation. He was a colorful character who used to ride the New York City fire trucks. He'd go to the fires with them. And he would raid the speakeasies with the police department. And he would take the entire orphanage, all the kids in the orphanage, to baseball games. I mean, I like this guy, you know? I really do. And whenever the New York newspaper was on strike, he would go on the radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids, you know? One bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at night court in an area that served the poorest ward in the city. LaGuardia, he had dismissed the judge for the evening, and he took over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen, refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor, the shopkeeper told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach others around here a lesson. LaGuardia said, LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman. He said, I have got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. This is back in 1930-something. But even as he was pronouncing the sentence, the mayor already was reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill, and he tossed it into his hat, saying, here is a $10 fine, which I now remit, which means you don't have to pay it. (laughs) And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread. so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. This wasn't a joke either. The following day, the New York City newspaper reported that $47.50 was turned over to the bewildered old lady. This is in the 1930s. $47.50 was turned over to her, the woman who had stolen the loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner himself. While some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents, 
And then at the conclusion, they all stood and gave the, the mayor a standing ovation. Here's my question. Did this elderly woman who stole that bread, did she get what she deserved? Not at all. She disobeyed. She broke the law. You know, what she received was mercy. It's not getting what she deserved. And what she received was also grace. Is getting way beyond what she deserved. The riches of God. LaGuardia paid her fine, just like Jesus has paid ours. And he's been extremely merciful toward you and me. Has he not? I mean, we've done things that our goose should have been cooked for, right? But he forgave us. And then he extended to us grace, which is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's enabling power. It's his favor. It's his blessings that we surely don't deserve. And so we see this in a mayor. He showed mercy and grace. And how much more merciful and gracious is our almighty God who loves us. And his love and that resurrection power, it makes a difference in you and in me. And there's only uh, two commands that God expects you to honor from this day forward. Only two, not ten, but two. And the first one is to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And let's see, the second one was uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. And if your neighbor is being forced to steal a loaf of bread because... Her grandchildren are going, I'm hungry, and she has nothing. And she didn't steal, like, steak or even hamburger, just a loaf of bread. Well, we should make sure that we can help those who are in need with a loaf of bread, shouldn't we? Well, to be honest, we haven't gotten to my lesson yet. <laughs> I'm not teasing. This is just the introduction, you know. But what I want to do, I want to... Uh, Share a story with you. You've heard me tell it many times before. But I want to show you a picture of some starfish, okay? Tell me when you can see them. You can see them, starfish? I begin to do a research, and this happens often. There are hundreds of pictures on the Internet. More than this, I mean millions of starfish are washed ashore during a storm. And one morning, real early, this kid was down there at the shore, and he was picking up starfish and throwing them back in the water, throwing them back in the water, throwing them back in the water. And a, an older gentleman coming from the other direction met him, and the old man said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm throwing these starfish back in the water because as the sun rises, they'll, they'll die. You know, uh, they've got little bitty feet on the bottom of them, almost microscopic, and you can't hardly see them, but, but they move, but they move really, really slow. And they'll never get back to the water. The tide's going out. They'll never catch it. They'll, they'll die here in, in the sun and the heat. And the man says, from where I've walked miles, there's just millions of starfish. It don't make no difference. You might as well just give up your task right now. And the little boy said, it makes a difference to that one. And it makes a difference to that one. And it makes a difference for that one. And you know what? 
It made a difference for me when I found out about the resurrection of Christ and his forgiveness and his love and grace and mercy. It made a difference for me. And, and, and we need to be making a difference. But unlike the starfish here, you know, I want to challenge you. Starfish couldn't really move and do much, could they? <laughs> Not really. But now we've heard his word. It's your move. It's your move. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I would challenge you to make a difference with it. To believe in Christ and make time for him and, and put to death those things that rob you. Uh, learn about God's ways and his perspective on things. Learn how to use the keys that are available to us now. Learn how to access that resurrection power in your life. Learn how to pray. And you know what? Maybe you can't meet the whole need, uh, such as the elevator. Maybe you can't come in and personally put it in or personally finance the whole thing. But all of us can do a little bit. And all of us can do a little bit out there and shake somebody's hand or, you know, what about this? If you wake up every morning and say, well, I'm going to make a difference today. And the only thing that you had opportunity, you was at a traffic light and there was somebody going down the road and they looked like the world had caved in on them. Could you give them a smile? I read an article where a guy was going home to commit suicide. But because someone smiled at him at a street corner, he said, well, maybe it's not as bad as I think it is. So the little things that we do make a difference. Faith Living Church, which is people, just like right here. We're a church that makes a difference because Jesus Christ is building us up. And he is sharing with us his resurrection power. And he gives us another chance. And he gives us hope. And he's touched us for the better. And so we become an extension of Jesus' hand. We become an extension of his voice. And we begin to apply the things that we're learning, like Karen did at Subway. We begin to apply the things we're learning and putting it into practice. It's not always easy. But through Christ, we can do it, can we not? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for giving us your word. And thank you for giving us hope. Lord, thank you for giving us another chance. And you've given us another chance so often. We want to become more and more and more like your son, Jesus. Forgive us for the times when we've missed the mark. And Lord, just inspire us and stir us with the, the scriptures we've read today. May faith rise up in our soul. and Help us to make a difference to the people you bring across our path today. Whether we're in the parade or whether we're at home or at the grocery store or the service station. Help us to be looking for an opportunity to make a difference for you. May we access that resurrection power. May it live within us. May the life that's in a seed be in us and bring about new life to others. As our heads are bowed, I'd ask you to join me in a simple prayer to reaffirm our faith in a wonderful Savior whose name is Jesus. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life, would you join us right now? Would you welcome him in as your Lord, into your life as your Lord and as your Savior? Would you allow him to come about and bring the transformation 
and put hope, expectation, to put a twinkle in your eye, to cause faith to rise within you. Would you join us now as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I honestly believe the best is yet to come. And I surrender myself to you. Have your way in my life and cause me to make a difference. I believe that Jesus died in my place. And I believe he rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. I open that door right now. And I welcome Jesus into my life. I welcome that resurrection power to flow to me and to flow out through me. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Let me, uh, before I dismiss you, your connections card. If you choose to agree with this, just check it off and drop it in the tithe box. It just simply says, even small things can make a difference. I am determined daily to make a difference in people's lives. I'm determined. I'm looking for an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Even if it's just a, even if it's just a smile, whatever it might be, I'm looking for that. If that's you, check it off, drop it in the tithe box. If you need some uh, prayer this morning... There'll be some folks around the altar who would love to pray with you. If you've not gotten involved in a life group yet, I cannot encourage you. Life groups are amazing. Life groups rock, okay? I'm telling you, they honestly do. Mike's back there, some other folks to help you, uh, talk to you about life groups, check them out. But I'm telling you, the resurrected Christ makes a difference. And he answers prayer. I'm telling you, prayers are answered. And you come with expectation. You know, God answers prayer in this day and time or we wouldn't bother to do it. He tells us to do this. So take advantage of, of that. And on your way out, if you would, would you greet somebody, high five somebody, shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck. God bless you. You are dismissed.